Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. Mile high hello, everybody in Broncos country. Welcome into another episode of the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. I am your host, Lance Anderson, and joining me as per usual is my good friend and colleague. He is Mile High Huddle's senior NFL draft analyst, the one and only Eric Trickle. And dude, the news is just crazy. Maybe not today with practice being kind of a lighter practice, but obviously training camp is underway. The Broncos are back out there getting to work. Um, sounds like they're kind of mixing up the the, te- the pace a little bit, mixing up the tempo. The first day was kind of a little bit easier, uh, slower pace and whatnot. Day two, they they ramped it up and was really had a lot of high energy. Today, they kind of slowed it back down. First pads come on and they'll do full contact practice on Tuesday next week. Eric, man, how are you doing? Are you excited as I am to finally have football back in the air? Um, one thing that always is obvious whenever football starts to get back is I get extremely, extremely tired because I don't sleep because I'm constantly trying to, you know, put things together. I'm trying I'm so far behind in work for next year's draft that I'm trying to catch up on that. So I'm really tired, but I'm super excited. I mean, I'm excited for tomorrow because I guess tomorrow's practice is going to be very energetic, even though it's not padded practice, um, that there's going to be a, um, a lot more energy. And I like the fact that the tempo today was a little reserved. I mean, they just got back from being away for a while. So you don't want to overdo it too early right away. Give them a little bit of a break, even though it wasn't mandated. It, I, I still like that option. Still able to get in some good work and get some good stuff done. And so I'm excited. I'm excited it's back. I'm excited that it's going to be um, seeing what's continuing to go on and building off this. And then seeing how um, certain players do when the pads come on. That's always the big thing for me. When the pads come on, who stands out? Yeah, it, we'll, we'll get to that here in just a few minutes because Jerry Judy is a big talking point going around. As Kenny Booker so astutely jump, uh, points out here in a super chat, um, he says, I'm hearing on the radio that uh, Judy has a bad attitude and is, quote, acting like a baby in camp. Uh, is there any truth to this? Now, this also depends on who you might be listening to, because I was listening to the same place. I think that you heard this, Kenny, in 104.3 The Fan, where I, I'm, you got to take things with a grain of salt just a little bit. I love those guys. They do a great job as far as, you know, kind of driving the conversation and stuff like that. Stokely and Zach are specifically who I'm talking about here, um, because I, I heard this kind of conversation coming from those guys and then also from Tyler Columbus. But then you go and listen to somebody like Ryan Edwards and Ben Albright, 
who are a little bit closer to the team, they literally work for the team where they're saying this is not necessarily a thing that's very true. It, it It's an overblown talking point. There is some definite issues to this current conversation. Eric, have you heard anything specifically or like reading between the tea leaves here is, is Judy in the wrong mindset, this particular training camp, or is that kind of just overblown media nonsense talking points? Um, I think there's some legitimacy to this. I mean, there's always been some questions about the attitude that Jerry Judy has, even going back to college. You know, we have the infamous whole thing of his rookie year, right, where he complained about how little he was targeted mm -hmm. and then followed that up with a game where he dropped 87,000 passes. Yep. Um, and then there's been issues, multiple things with the media, and, like, th there's a track record forming. However, acting like a baby, I think, is a bit of an overstatement. There's definitely mm -hmm. some frustration there. And I don't think it's frustration at the coaching staff per se. I think it's more so frustration with him. He had a rough first couple days. He stood out today, which is a little ironic with the half-tempo aspect of it, which mm -hmm. hurts the defense far more than it does the offense. So um, I think there's some truth to it, but I do think that some of it is just a little bit overblown. Well, I, from what I had seen, just kind of, perusing through Twitter before we went live here. Um, it seemed like today was a big focus on getting Jerry Judy involved in the passing game. And, and really they, they focused on a bunch of packages for him, specifically some red zone stuff from what I had seen that they worked a lot of the red zone and stuff like that, getting Judy kind of incorporated into this offense. So uh, I, while I'm, I'm reading some of these comments coming in, just like you got to pay attention to who you're listening to be, be aware of like team spin, listening to Broncos country tonight, be aware of like Kathy London saying it, like I have no access to the fan and whatnot. I personally think they're looking for hot takes. Like there's definitely a conversation to be had and stuff like this. I don't know. I'm not there. I'm currently six and a half hours away from Dove Valley. I can't tell you, you know, what, what I'm seeing with my eyes. I can, what I can relay is the information that we're getting from people who are there seeing it firsthand and, and telling these things, telling these stories, maybe even posting some clips and stuff on Twitter and whatnot. To me, I don't think that there's necessarily any major issue with the way that these, these practices are kind of set up right now. They're not meant to be full speed. They're not meant to be this electric hair on fire mentality attitude that you see when Jerry Judy hits the field, when he goes, he's like, a like he runs like his, his hair's on fire. And when you're running half speed, you don't see that. So I don't know the validity of these claims. If I did have any more inside information, I would definitely share it along with you guys. But that is definitely a very big talking point right now. Before we continue on, though, guys, we got to give a shout out to our presenting sponsor of the show, Manscaped. Guys, taking control of your male grooming is important. If you're experiencing an overgrown yard, like around your house and stuff like that, you got to be the guy out there, like kick somebody's ass out there in your yard work and stuff like that. Manscaped is the way that you do that with your with your uh, your, your men's hygiene and stuff like that. The products are very good. You're going to be showing pride in your new bush-free property, getting my face and stuff cleaned up and lined up. Um, it, it's always very nice. It's the fact that you have the best kept area on the cul-de-sac. Like save big and be the most hygienic version of yourself by using our discount code MHH for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Now, Eric, what do you like the most about Manscaped? What do you have for us today? Well, I mean, I really like their lawnmower. I only have the 3.0. I know they've upgraded it. They have the 4.0 out now. Um, it's really easy to use. I love the fact that it's got that little light on it for some, you know, added visibility because, of course, you don't want to... Uh, get any nicks or anything like that but i also love their boxers and i every time we do this i always talk about the boxers they're extremely soft extremely comfortable um help keep things cool and fresh and i love their little um the bathroom bag the travel bag that it comes with mm -hmm. it's nice it's pretty spacious can hold all your bathroom stuff of that and when i travel i mean that's what i use for my bathroom stuff now so a lot of great products for it and definitely go check them out yeah, they've got like skin toners, deodorants. They've got a cologne that smells pretty well. They, um, they've got replacement blades for your lawnmower and for the weed whacker. That's the the, the nose hair trimmer and stuff like that. Uh, they have a lot of really cool stuff there. The the boxer briefs, I'm actually wearing them right now. They're the most comfortable pair of boxers that I have. Um, but you can get all this stuff, guys. If you go to manscaped.com and when you guys are there, make sure you get that 20% off and free shipping with our code MHH at manscaped.com, guys. Again, 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com. Use our promo code MHH. It's time you level up from the Amazon to, you know, the 
getting everything cleaned up and whatnot with the ultimate bushwhacking tools from Manscaped. Now, Andrew Lamp jumping in here. Hi, all. Thanks for all the hard work, fellas. And thank you, Andrew, for being kind and generous. Guys, we're going to kind of move through this really quickly tonight. We're going to kind of shorten our shows a little bit, probably go from the typical hour and 10 minutes to about 45 minutes to kind of just take away, get to the talking points that we want to get into, really get that deep dive in. So, guys, please, if you want to ask any questions for us, we'll grab a couple of them, but we're really going to focus mostly super chats and stars and stuff like that. Please get those in. We will get to every single one of those for sure, uh, as long as uh, they kind of align with what we're talking about and stuff like that. So if you have any really good questions like this one that I do want to grab, Eric and I both talked about this before we went live. Um, from William Hansen. first off, this is a new name, uh, a new face in in our uh in our DVDD show anyways, new face, I think is as far as the mile high huddle community is concerned. Uh, but he says, question, Eric and Lance, how do you guys get college film? Do you guys watch the full game highlights or all 22 film? What is the main source of the film you usually get? That last question is kind of tricky because I don't want to give up the source of that. However, Eric, I'll let you kind of take this one away because this is really your area of ex expertise here. So the biggest area is that there is a th product I pay for through Patreon that is a guide that goes and gets a bunch of film and puts it onto there. I go and I subscribe to that and I subscribe to a couple others that do the same thing that aren't quite as good as the, the other one. Um, but my main focus is I try to stay away from highlights. Um, obviously, I mean, highlights, it's highlighting the great plays and it's more than that. I want to see what they do wrong. I want to see the mistakes. I want to see the issues whenever I'm breaking down a player, because at times you can learn a lot more about a player after, about about a player from those than you can from the highlight plays. And it's a little like if you've seen the movie Draft Day, the whole thing about wanting to see um, Kevin Costner, wanting to see the quarterback after he got sacked by um, Chadwick Boseman's character um, in the movie. That goes into part of it, too. If so, an offensive lineman gives up a sack, how do they respond? If a corner gives up a catch or a or a touchdown, how do they how do they respond for it? So I like to see all that aspect of it. Um, all 22 for college football is extremely hard to come by. If you get it, it is a gift from up above, essentially. Um, so that's always great. I do use highlights every now and then to accentuate what I'm getting from game tape. Um and from either watching full broadcasts or just cut-ups of them, of uh, all the player snaps, I use highlights to kind of accentuate that if I can't see the full play. Like a corner getting beat deep, like an, a, a finding a highlight of the receiver may show more of that with a different angle. So it's always great to see um, that. So it's it's a really, to answer your question, it's a little bit of everything. It, it really is. And like for me, I have a bunch of film breakdowns. In fact, I'm pulling one up and maybe I can get it to, to share on the screen for you guys here in uh, just a second here. Talking about a player that is really kind of highlighting himself out in camp right now in um, rookie wide receiver Montreal Washington out of Samford. Uh, if you go through that piece and you um, you take a take a look at what I have, I actually have all 22 uh, clips in there from uh, i believe it was the mercer game is what i got and they, it wasn't all 22 it was actually a, a a live broadcast where they had high up angles so it looked like all 22 and then i had some highlight tapes because there's just not a lot of easy ways to find tape of samford to begin with and then i did also have some tv copies where it was like the legitimate tv copy and you could see just like the close-up angle and stuff like that but you can still follow the play along and still kind of work with it and if you if they get a good a good cameraman they'll focus on that player and you'll get a good replay and you can figure out a way to kind of incorporate it so it is kind of all three of those aspects um moving on here travis weber good uh, good evening lance eric scott and broncos country good evening travis thank you for joining us as well uh, sending Derek Wolf a mile high salute to him in his retirement as a Bronco. This, folks, was actually the largest story of the day at, at Broncos training camp, quite honestly, because right before um, camp started, I do believe right before practice started, uh, Derek Wolf actually showed up to the team facility. I believe he signed a one day contract with the Broncos to announce his retirement. Um, a Obviously, former Bronco, former Baltimore Raven. I think he spent the last two years in Baltimore, but he was an, a critical part of the 2015 um, Super Bowl winning team. That defense was was so amazing. I want to grab Gary here as well. Uh, good afternoon, Lance, Eric, Scott, and Broncos country. Congratulations to Derek Wolf on his retirement and go Broncos. And thank you, Gary, for joining us as always. Um, we'll grab KB here in just a second, Scott. Um, but 
Derek Wolf, man, Eric, I, I really wanted to get your opinions on this, and I didn't put it into the group chat earlier today because I know how much Derek Wolf really meant to you as a player. He's one of the few players that you actually have a jersey of. So when the news broke about Derek Wolf announcing his retirement today, what was the first thing that kind of went through your mind here? I mean, I was happy. I mean, like, he, he's had a great career, mm -hmm. dealt with injuries there towards the end in Denver, dealt with injuries in Baltimore. So it kind of was seeming like time was coming. Um, I've always been a huge fan of Derek Wolf. I have never hidden that fact. Mm -hmm. He was when I first got into doing this, it was on a board of the on the Denver Broncos website, and Derek Wolf was one guy that I just pounded on. Like that that was my guy. I wanted Denver to trade up. I was willing to Denver to take him in the first round. Like I absolutely loved him. I loved what he could bring. Um he's one of those players that I always defended because while he, you know, wasn't always this great, tremendous pass rusher, he did all the dirty work that you needed on the defensive line. Mm -hmm. He did all that work that doesn't really get noticed by many fans unless you are particularly looking for it. He helped open up a lot of um, room for Von Miller to go get after the quarterback. Right. Um, his story of what he overcame to get to where he did, like everything was just great. And it's awesome because he not only is he one of the players that I have, few players that I have a jersey of, He's the only player that I actually have the autograph of. Um, there was a good friend of mine who was able to go down to, well, at the time she was a good friend, was able to get down to minicamp and she got one of those little mini helmets and Derek Wolf got his autograph on it and sent it up to me. Um, so I'm glad he's, I'm glad he retired. I'm glad he came back and did it the way he did um, being part of it. Um, huge fan of him. He was a guy that, again, I always liked, even when he went to Baltimore, I still rooted for him mm -hmm. um, for success. Uh, and, uh, I mean, like, uh, I'm ha I'm happy for him. Like he has a Super Bowl I, ring and gets to go out yeah. with a good career. Yeah, it, it, I mean, ten years in the NFL, you can like the average career in the NFL. First off, ninety nine percent of people don't ever make it to the NFL, and the, I think it's like seventy five percent of the players that do only last like three years. Like it's a very short shelf life. And for him to go out with the bad neck injury that he had, being able to come back, play at a high level, and still contribute for um, not only the Broncos but also for the Ravens, it, though injuries did kind of nip him in the bud there a little bit it's, as far as continuing continuing his career. He, he always is going to hold a special place in um, in Broncos country's hearts. And the one thing that I want to get before we get to KB here was I was listening to the fan again today. Um, and Orlando Franklin was talking about what, uh, what Derek Wolf meant to the team. Um, and the things that he was able to do for Von Miller was actually because of the way that he was such a responsible player. So essentially the way that it was described by Orlando Franklin, and I'm sure you guys can go find this audio and listen to, listen to it for yourself. But what Big O was saying was Von Miller had the freedom to do whatever he wanted to because he played outside. Derek Wolf played that five technique defensive end and Von Miller slid up in front on the, on the side of him and played from the outside. So if Von saw something on a tackle, he had the permission to whenever he wanted to run underneath Derek Wolf. So it was never actually a design twist or a design stunt. Von Miller just did that. So Derek Wolf had to understand that when Von Miller goes to the inside, I still have to be and play my edge contained. So that's why Von would come underneath him all the time. And Derek Wolf would kind of just drive through the tackle and open up all these running lanes for Von Miller to go and, and get all these massive sacks. There was also a lot of times where it worked so well that Derek Wolf would get home just half a second later than Von did. And Von stole who knows how many sacks away from guys like uh, from Derek Wolf and from Malik Jackson and even from Demarcus Ware going through. So it's it's just great to um, great to see the the fact that he had his long career to, to come back and, and be a Denver Bronco again at least for a day and to to get the the, reg the recognition and celebration that he deserves. Yeah. Uh, we had some stars come in. Uh, Travis Weber said 90, 95 stars for Wolf. Um, Got to give the big old howl. There was another one here. Uh, Lawrence Rivera jumped in and said, I'm rocking my jersey all day tomorrow. 95 Wolf, baby. And thank you, Lawrence, for that as well. Um, Eric, go ahead and give some final thoughts. And I'm, I'm going to get this super from KB pulled up. Um, Yeah, I mean, my final thoughts is one reason that I always loved him watching his tape is if you wanted to watch a player play with just tremendous discipline and consistency, Derek Wolf, like just consistently. Um, one thing I do during the after the draft is I go back and I watch NFL players of varying levels of success. It's not always like future Hall of Fame guys, Pro Bowl guys. Um, 
just certain styles of players and Derek Wolf was always one is like this is your standard four I five technique defensive end with just what to do from a technical standpoint with consistency with discipline. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I mean the last two years, I last few years actually, I haven't really had a chance to watch him because he's been dealing with so many injuries. Um and yeah, I mean it was just a little miss, but good to him. And then KB's says with a four dollar ninety nine donation, thank you, KB he says Thanks, I think KB. Jerry Jones, Jerry loves Russ is here and that he has a legit QB now. But back in the in the back of my mind, I think he wants to be on a big market team. That's always been a belief. Um, since he was drafted, I mean, his introductory press conference didn't seem like he was exactly excited for it. There's been some chatter going around through the grapevine that he firmly believed he was going to the Raiders. Um, and that's where he was going. And they ended up taking his teammates and he wasn't happy about that. Um, so there's, I think there's definitely some truth to the fact that he may not fully want to be in Denver. Um just because it's just been such a so consistently brought up and he doesn't really do things to or give those signs that you want to see or those answers to the in press conferences that really suggest otherwise. I don't necessarily disagree with that take, honestly. Um, to me, I think being fed the football and being utilized correctly in the offense is going to definitely change the direction of this conversation a little bit. Part of the conversation that was being had about Judy on the fan was his lack of try hard and the stuff that he was doing in, in drills and stuff like that, not doing everything. And it was like very, uh, quote, according to them, like apparent that he wasn't trying as hard as everybody else. It, it, they were talking specifically about a hand placement drill in that conversation and about how Jerry wasn't like really touching the pad. He wasn't striking violently and stuff like that. To me, and Eric and I were talking about this before we went live. I don't necessarily care about that because with Jerry Judy, how many times is he going to be lined up on the line of scrimmage first off in press man coverage where he's going to have to use his hands to get off of the line of scrimmage from the sound of it. Everything that I've been hearing coming out of camp is they're lining him up in the slot a lot. They're motioning across the formation a lot. They're getting him out into open space early, trying to get the ball out quickly to him and stuff like that, where if you're off of the line of scrimmage, it doesn't matter if the cornerback's playing press because you're still three, you got three yards worth of separation between you and the guy. Like there's there's a, a certain aspect of this conversation that needs to be kind of whittled back a little bit and just understanding what the actual context of the, the, the play is designed, what the coaches are asking him to do and stuff like that, that we got to kind of pump the brakes here and see how this plays out. It's three days in camp and, and today was a walkthrough essentially. Yeah, and real quick before we get on to, you know, breaking down for the 53-man roster with wide receivers and tight ends, Denver Broncos Syndicate asks, is Denver really a small market team, though? We are one of the most well-traveled teams in the league. Um, Yes, Denver is a small market team. Mm -hmm. Um, They're viewed as such. They've always been as viewed as such. And it'll take a lot to change that. Um, New York, Los Angeles, those are your big big type markets. Miami. Um, Phil uh, McLaughlin comes in says, evening, Lance, Eric, and Scott. Can't wait for pads tomorrow. Um, pads don't come on till Tuesday, uh, Phil. Wolf's interview was eye-opening. So many players go through physically what he exper- so many players go through physically what he experienced. Yeah, I mean, um, I haven't had a chance to watch his interview. Unfortunately, I've been pretty busy today. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely something I want to do. I've heard some, uh, had some gleamings of that. Some people talk about it. Um, I guess I don't know if it was in that interview or in something else where he made the comment that the easiest game in that super bowl season was the super bowl yep for them which was which was great um great to hear but uh i'm excited i'm as i said i'm like i'm happy for him um and i can't wait to watch that interview to hear more him talk more about what he went through yeah um again i I haven't got a chance to listen to it either so i'm kind of looking forward to i haven't listened to any of the the quotes from today um any of the interviews so i'm I'm gonna go back and and do that here after i probably eat dinner and maybe get an article hammered out because there's there's still some news coming out here guys so just kind of be patient here but we'll get we'll get with everything here uh travis weber jumping in here with the injuries to billy turner and tom compton both of them are actually still uh listed on pup in fact tom compton had a back procedure done prior to camp so they they put him on the the pup list billy turner still dealing i believe with a knee injury from last year that he's got to kind of work through who's going to be the starting right tackle and eric we we've been kind of going back and forth on this for a while now and from all reports out there this week it's been calvin anderson uh undrafted free agent out of texas like he played fairly decently on the left side 
uh, in replacement for Garrett Bowles back in 2020, I believe, when they played in Carolina. And then last year he played uh, sparing Dallas his, game. Yep, the but. Dallas game. He played. He played pretty well. So. Calvin Anderson on the right side has always kind of struggled a little bit. I thought he was mostly left tackle only, but to see that he's out there taking the reps with the ones and it's been consistent with him out there too. It's been like, he's been consistently the guy um, they've been really rotating the guards and stuff like that. So to me, I think Calvin Anderson really has the inside shot and Benjamin Albright hit that back when they signed Billy Turner, like, like back in free agency, he said, Calvin Anderson, when they re-signed him, they're like, we're going to give him every opportunity to, to win the job. And from the sound of it, they think that he's going to do it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're kind of getting an idea what the starting offensive line is going to be. Bulls, Reisner, Cushenberry, Miners, and Anderson. Um, I think the injuries to Turner and Compton have kind of kept that. Maybe uh, we'll see what happens when they get back. Expectation is both of them will still be back for the regular before the regular season. We'll see, especially with Compton and that back injury. Um, but anyways, I want to get into the tight ends since we have some comments about not using the tight ends. Um, with Ross, history suggests that he just doesn't use tight ends. I mean, every single year of his career, except for three years where he had Jimmy Graham, they were in the bottom 10 for tight end targets. Mm -hmm. They had almost half of the tight starting, starting tight ends, individual players, almost half of them consistently had more targets and receptions than all of Seattle's tight ends combined. Yep. Yep. Jimmy Graham, I mean, at that point was on his down, was going downhill and everything. But I mean, part of why he signed with, was there and kept there was some contract stuff. And that's why he got used so much. Like that played a factor into it. Mm -hmm. um, Denver had a pretty, or I mean, Seattle had a pretty solid tight end last year in Gerald Everett, and he just didn't get used that much. So it's history doesn't suggest that. Question is, and always has been, how much of that was Pete Carroll's influence? Um, that is one thing that is always, you know, going to be an issue. When you look at Green Bay, I mean, they're a little bit more closer to the average in terms of total tight end targets, but mm -hmm. it's been pretty well spread out, and they've consistently had um, been about middle of the pack in terms of, you know, with the average NFL right. average. Um, so the question is, how much is Hackett going to improve that? It seems like that they both want to use tight ends more, which suggests that we're not we're going to see an improvement there but all we have 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 is history so, so the thing is when we look at these tight ends i mean it's just a bunch of mystery right now eric sobert is all right albert oakwebenam has to take that next step greg dulcich is a rookie eric tomlinson is what he is and andrew beck is what he is mm -hmm. so they don't really have that star quality talent to suggest that hey like you know jimmy graham to have they're going to have this huge tight end usage here but we could possibly see three, four guys have a good amount of usage um, throughout. And I think that with how things are looking and sounding, Eric Sobert seems to be Russell Wilson's guy. A lot of people are talking about him being the top guy um, at tight end, which will be interesting to see. Um, doesn't so bode well for Albert Okwebenom if Eric Sobert's being the top guy, because Greg Dulcich is probably going to be number two. But with tight end for me, when it comes to the 53-man roster, there is Sobert, Okwebenam, Dulcich, and I think Tomlinson is that fourth guy. I don't think it's Andrew Beck. Tomlinson does everything better, costs more to cut than what Andrew Beck can be that fullback. Last year, I mean, Tomlinson played more snaps overall last year. Both Beck and Tomlinson played 39 snaps as a fullback last year. Yeah. They they do a lot of the same things, and I, I think Tomlinson, despite not being well, I guess Andrew Beck isn't really that great of an athlete either. But like Tomlinson's not a guy that you want as a move tight end. And Denver Broncos syndicate jumping in here. This is something I really wanted to hit on, and you kind of alluded to it just a little bit there. Uh, Eric Saubert has been one of Russ's favorite favorite targets in Dulcich's absence. I think that they've got a a big connection going on right now, and it's it's very obvious, especially from. The red zone work that they did on day one, Russell Wilson threw him two touchdown passes. Uh, yesterday, and uh, he was ripping down the seam. He was wide open on the sideline a couple times. He got, I think, another couple of touchdown passes in work with Russell Wilson and, and the first team offense. I want to piggyback off of something that you said here, though. The the Albert O impact on this deal. And I, I think that while 
Albert O is a, a, a fairly okay blocker. Saubert is actually a very good blocker. He, uh, he impressed me last year in camp in the, in the games that I had seen. He moves well. He's a very good athlete. It's taken a long time for, he's like a guy that you really just want to root for. He went, uh, he went to Drake. It was the college that he went to. It's a, um, it, they're, they're, they're not scholarship. They're an SDS school. They're a lower level competition and stuff like that. He's worked his way through the NFL and is finally getting an opportunity. And, Russell Wilson and him seem to have this massive connection, not only on the field, but off the field. They were talking about that. Um, uh, I believe it was Eric Saubert was talking to, to Nick Cosmiter at the, at the athletic. And he said, you know, we, we, as an offense, we hate to not score more than we love to score. Like they, they, they've got that, that Kobe Bryant Mamba mentality where they want to put these points up and, Russell Wilson just seems to look in his direction and Cortland Sutton's direction the most, at least over these, these last couple of days. So I I'm rooting for Sauber and Andrew Mason had an article up at denverfan.com saying that he thinks that Sauber can win tight end one. So it, it's, there's a lot of smoke to this conversation and with the unknown of Greg Dulcich, the injury and stuff like that with Albert O just not coming along as quickly as everybody thinks that he's going to Sauber has an opportunity here to carve out a big role for this offense. I caught you right in the middle of taking a drink too. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, um, remember, remember when Albert O was going to be a star, you yeah. know, his rookie year after his first like 10 plays. Yep. I do I remember that. Those good yep. times. Yep. Those were, um, but I mean, it's, there's no denying that Albert O. Quibinom has been disappointing. Even the coaching staff and the front office seem to be disappointed. Part of why they were so comfortable moving Noah Fant is because they were, they felt that Oak Quibinom was going to take this big step forward. He hasn't done it. Fortunately, they, you know, covered up with Noah Fant being gone by getting great dosage. And now Eric Sobert seems to be stepping up out of nowhere. Um, so it's great to see. The question really is, I think that for sure, I think at this point, Okwebinom, barring a trade, a trade always could throw in a wrinkle in this. Maybe they decide that, okay, Albert Okwebinom hasn't taken a step up. Maybe we use him as trade bait. Maybe he we send him somewhere else and they, they try to sit there and get something out of him. Um, Denver does only have a handful of picks next year. And, you know, even if even if they don't get more than a six-round pick back for him, it's a loss because they spend a fourth on him. But it's still another pick next year. Old regime drafted him. New regime's in. Changes are coming like that. Um, but uh, barring a trade, I would expect Okoye Benam to make it, along with Sobert, along with Dulcich, obviously, third-round mm -hmm. rookie. It's that fourth spot. And as I said, I have it going to... Eric Tomlinson, but there are people out there that are talking up Andrew Beck. And I wonder how much that has to do with just the fact that he is more of that fullback type than Tomlinson is, than Sobert is, than any of these other guys are. And I wonder how much of this of can these other guys step in and be that role in his place, which leads to a thing of, again, maybe they decide to trade Andrew or uh, trade Albert Oklahoma, keeping um, Sobert and Tomlinson because Tomlinson's a great inline blocker. Um, and then you have Beck as a fullback and you have more blocking ability from your tight end position as they want to be a running offense. Like Hackett has said that multiple times. Um, so may maybe that's a thing. Maybe they, maybe they go, you know, blow us all away and decide to keep all five of them. I doubt that happens, but it's a possibility. It's something that's going to be kept on. on. The biggest thing for the tight end position when it comes to blocking is when the pads come on. Yep. So I'm excited. That's why I'm excited for Tuesday. Pads yep. will come on. We'll get to get it. We'll get another chance for it. Well, and that actually segues perfectly in this conversation because as far as Eric Sobert's concerned, he's been just dominating at the point of attack in the running game from the sound of it. There ain't no pads on, guys. Like we've got to understand this. Another player that we're gonna segue here to the wide receiver conversation for a minute here. And I'm gonna actually share this this article that I have um, up at milehighhuddle.com. It's been up for a few weeks now, but right about a month or so, somewhere in there, is this um, this film room breakdown that I have on rookie wide receiver Montreal Washington and how he should make a year one impact. And if I can get one of these to actually pop up really fast, maybe. It's going to take a second to load, of course. Um, never mind. We're just going to kill this right now. Uh, regardless, anyways – from every report that I've heard so far is that um, Montreal Washington has actually been very impressive in terms as a punt returner. Um, he worked a little bit with the second team offense in the slot. I think a, a big part of that is KJ Hamler being on the physically unable to perform list. 
But the fact that they want to see what he can do with some higher level competition at the NFL level is definitely a, a an eyebrow raising aspect of what's going on at training camp. Now, again, this is no there's no pads. Montreal Washington is a small guy. He's like 5'8", 175, 180, 180 pounds, something like that. He's a little jitterbug athlete, but the dude's got some juice and he can take the ball a very long way when he gets up to full speed. This is a guy that's standing out, but to see him out in there, out there in pads, um, and to to get some punt returns going where there's live fire, live ammo, and stuff like that going off is going to be very fun to see. Eric, I'm curious to your thoughts on Montreal, Washington, and let's let's work our way from the bottom up here. We already know the top four, like Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick. Those guys are they're locks to make this roster. Is Montreal, Washington, wide receiver six, maybe seven on this roster this season? Um. I mean, you're spot on. We don't really need to talk about the top four. We know who they are. Cortland Sutton, uh, the four you said. We don't have to talk about them. It's that fourth and um, sixth spot, which one of them is going to be a returner. I do find it interesting that so far there's been very little Jalen Virgil. He was one guy that I thought can come in and compete for it. Caden Davis was another one I've mentioned a couple times. He seems to be not far behind Montreal, Washington. Mm -hmm. The question is going to be how much can they offer up on offense as well because it seems like that they don't want to keep a designated returner. By all accounts, Montreal Washington has been doing extremely well on offense as well. But he is this is training camp, OTAs, you know, the unpadded practice. Here we go again. They fit his style. Yeah. Like he, he's a speedster guy. He's a guy that doesn't that doesn't really like contact. So when defensive backs have to be a little bit of a little bit more withdrawn. Of course, he's going to stand out and shine. It's the same thing with Tyreek McAllister, who we talked about last week. Yep, it's a situation where they where they are going to stand out. Returns, you're going to stand out because there's that limited amount of contact that you can have. Yep. Uh, so I, as long as he shows it in camp, or in when the pads come on, yeah. I mean, I think he's poised to make this roster. It's always been a bit of a, um, in my in my opinion, even though I've consistently done it been a bit more of a bold take that he doesn't make the roster because of how much Dwayne Stukes loved him and pounding the table for him and wanting him so badly and yeah. taking him when they did. Um, so it's, so I do think it is. And then we get to that fifth spot, sixth spot and that right there. I mean, there's plenty of competition for it. Maybe they go with another guy like Caden Davis who can offer up mm-hmm. returnability. Seth Williams. Um, I, don't know for sure. I've heard some conflicting things about it. I've seen he's made a couple plays. I've seen that for the most part he's or heard that he's been a little bit disappointing overall. Um, I mean, it's just a it's a interesting receiver group. Then there's Kendall Hinton as well, who's in it. Tyree Cleveland, I think, is probably the best bet though for that six spot, that gunner type. And from a few conversations I've had, is that he's absolutely been having a tremendous camp so far. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. And sorry, guys, Kevin is freaking out. It's his second birthday today, so we're actually getting ready to do a birthday party after we're done with this. Um, so happy birthday to our two-year-old son, Kevin. Um, but uh, going back to that conversation, I think Ty that Tyree Cleveland is an interesting case study here because I, I'm not sure what he offers up on the offense, but he is such a great player on the special teams aspect. He also offers up some kick return versatility as well. So he's a great gunner. He's does a, a fairly decent job of getting out there and get, getting physical, probably more of a deep threat sideline boundary receiver, only bigger body. And then the other guys that are really are, have the opportunity to come on. I mean, he's way bigger than Kendall Hinton is. He's way bigger than, um, than Montreal Washington is. So you got to have some bulk at least as well, especially if you want some of these guys playing that gunner position on the special teams units. So I think Cleveland is really close to being the one. I think it, it it's going to be with between him and um, Montreal Washington, I think is the one to really kind of watch here. And I know that with, uh, with Stukes pounding the table for him, I think that you might just need to see just a little bit more of the development aspect for him. And when you get KJ Hamler back in the fold and you get him coming back and playing the, the offensive uh, reps for Montreal Washington are probably going to go away. You're mostly going to see him as that return aspect. And that to me was the biggest impact that he could have on this Broncos team this season. Go and check out my, my piece on Montreal Washington, milehighhuddle.com. Click the film breakdown, uh, the film room um, tab there. It's the second story down, super easy to find. Quick and easy read. There's some gifts there for you guys to take a look at and stuff like that. And you can kind of see there's there's a lot of juice with this player. I, I really do appreciate what he brings. I'm a fan of him, and I really want to see him make the roster. But at the same time, 
he's got a long ways to go over a Kendall Hinton, over a, a, a Tyree Cleveland, who I think is probably wide receivers five and six. And if they do keep a seventh, that would be Montreal Washington. Yeah, I don't think Kendall Hinton makes it. Really? Okay, that's an interesting take because I've, I've heard that he's actually been playing pretty well out there. I mean, like, where do you put him? I can't see. I can't see them keeping seven receivers. Right, I understand. Um, Ross, roster math just doesn't play for it. Um, but real quick, I just want to go with this. Andrew Hopkins, yeah, we're talking about the sixth spot at wide receiver. Yes, we're talking about the fourth spot at wide receiver. It's part of the conversation that we're going to be having as we give our rough 53-man projections. So, I mean, we know who's going to make it. Those are the spots that don't. And plus, we're the Dove Valley Deep Divers. We're diving deep into this. That So, that means the bottom of the depth chart guys who can end up having a big part in how the season goes. So, like, yeah, we're going to be talking about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, as I said, I mean, Kendall Hinton, I've, I've heard that he's been looking good, but I just don't see a spot for him. Um, he's a guy that you, again, maybe you trade him, try to get some capital for him because anything in return for him is going to be something, a bonus for it. I, part of it too, when it comes to the fans is there's the whole thing of, you know, the new Orleans Saints game back in 2020, where he's a quarterback went out there, like, no, no, no. Let there me, are there, there are some people that that is playing a role into how much they like him and let, how let much me, they're rooting for him to make this roster. Let me stop you right here really fast. I'll let you continue on because it's more joking than anything. You're really going to cut a Hall of Fame caliber player from yeah. this roster? That's really where you're going here? Okay, Come no, on, he's Eric. not a Hall of Fame caliber player. He's just in the <laughs> Hall of Fame for that. There is a difference between those. Wording matters. Um, but, I mean, seriously, like, Kendall Hinton doesn't really have a lot to offer the team he's a guy that i really liked i mean i've i've really pushed for him like when he was an undrafted free agent he was one of the guys that i identified initially as a guy who can make the roster i like what he had to offer he just hasn't you know progressed he's he is what he is at this point he's not a guy who's going to contribute on special teams he's not a returner he's not a gunner Mm -hmm. he's a slot only receiver yep tyree cleveland you have a gunner he has returner capability to help back up there He's physical. He's bigger. And Russell Wilson does like those bigger guys. And then Montreal Washington, that is your returner. Like, right there. So, maybe they surprise me. Maybe they keep seven and Kendall Hinton is the seventh one. But I think the the six are set. And, yeah. I don't necessarily disagree with that line of thinking. I want to offer this one more counterpoint here. Um, with Montreal, Washington, when you go back and you, I, I actually made this very clear in my film piece, guys, Montreal, Washington in the offense that they had and they ran at Samford was they ran a play like every 15 seconds. Like they were on the ball, go, 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 go. Montreal, Washington literally played in the slot only. And uh, like they, they gadgeted him a little bit, handed him the football out of the backfield a little bit and stuff like that. But for the most part, he lined up in the slot. It's also a, a, none of what they did translates to the NFL level. You're really looking at him mostly as like an athlete and whatnot. So I, I got some points here I want to make. The, the biggest one is a guy that coming from that kind of an offense and the complex verbiage of this offense would not having the benefit of having a guy like a Kendall Hinton that has been around the NFL, has been through this a, a couple of times, be a little bit more valuable at least earlier on in the season as Montreal Washington kind of like you, you can put Montreal Washington on the practice squad. He's not going anywhere. No one's going to snipe him from you by any stretch of the imagination. It's just not happening. Kendall Hinton at least can have some valuable playing experience, even if it is like with KJ Hamler, you know, you've got Judy out there going to run a lot of the slot, but KJ Hamler is not going to be potentially available for the start of the season wouldn't it be more valuable for the Broncos to have a player that's been around a time or two to fill in that void while Montreal Washington steps up is I guess the biggest, the biggest point here. Well, I mean, then who's your returner? Like it's the issue. Isn't Montreal Washington. Montreal Washington is the returner right now. And if it's not him, it's Caden Davis. Like that's it. Like that's what we're down to at this point. Well, it's not going to be Tyree. It's not going to be Tyree Cleveland unless there an injury occurs. It's not going to be Kendall Hinton because he can't do it, not at the NFL level. If anything, he is going to be that Wes Welker type that's the safety net just going to go catch it and basically immediately go down. And they want more explosion from it. It's who are you taking, Tyree Cleveland or Kendall Hinton? Right. Which one, again, 
bottom of the depth chart, special teams. This is where the special teams coordinator gets their guy. What did Dwayne Stukes call Tyree Cleveland? A core special teamer. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, and that has consistently been right. a thing. And he's been impressing on offense. Right. So it's not Kendall Hinton. And I'll let I'll let you talk up Mike Boone as a Hall of Fame caliber player with 75 total touches. <laughs> Kendall Hinton has 17. Right. I, I won't let you get away with that. Like no, I'm I'm just I'm, so I'm just I I'm, I'm I, I know conver- I'm just trying to. My main point here. is is Kendall Hinton hasn't shown enough to be guaranteed a spot, and there are other players that are clearly outclassing him so far. Okay, there's a lot of time left. We're yeah. three days of camp practice. There is a yeah. lot of time left. Oh, yeah. Maybe he steps up. Maybe he sits there and somehow gets super explosive and can be a returner. Yep. Maybe like we we don't know. Right now, it just doesn't look like he's going to make the roster. Travis Weber came in with some stars saying, quick last question, RB2, who you got? Um, not really a running back, too, but it's very clearly the Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon show at running back. Like yes. There is no doubt about that. Um, Nathaniel Hackett has made that clear. There was some speculation after the first practice that Melvin Gordon is battling for running back four. That's not the case. Like right. Melvin Gordon is closer to being running back 1A than he is running back four. Um, it seems like uh, from every conversation I've had, everything that the coaches have said, it seems like that is going to be very similar to last year where both players ended the season with 203 touches. It wouldn't surprise me if we have a season where it's 250 to 175 yep. or something along those lines. Yep, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I believe that the way that it was kind of put out there was that um Melvin Gordon like you said was closer to running back 1A than he was to running back 3 like like that's that, that's the gap it's clearly Javante Williams Melvin Gordon a large gap and then Mike Boone Demaria Crockett Tyreek McAllister so that's really how this is going to shape up um I think that's pretty much going to wrap it up for us, though, guys. I'm not seeing any more super chats or anything like that. We do have to get out of here. Like I said, we're going to start running at about 45, 50 minutes tops. So this is going to do it for us tonight, guys. Thank you all for joining us on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. We really do appreciate everybody for joining us. Just quickly before I get to this. Uh, so the top four, obviously, wide receivers will go Montreal, Washington, and uh, Tyree Cleveland. That's where we're going to put that out on our on our 53-man. Okay, just – well, because I'm going to go back, I'm going to listen to the first. Actually, I, I know what it is, but uh, and I'm going to hammer this out next week. I'll have a spreadsheet for you guys built, put all together that we have the 53 man roster on, um, and then potentially we can do a death chart at the end of it all and stuff like that. Anyways, uh, guys, make sure you guys get at us. Uh, you can find us on Twitter by following me at Sanderson MHH for Eric at Eric Trickle and for Scott Kennedy uh, behind the scenes producing the show, running the ones and twos. We appreciate everything that Scott does at Scout Kennedy. While you're at it, guys, at DVDD underscore pod. It's a way to keep in touch with what we're talking about every single Friday. Um, We pretty much made it very clear here the last couple of days. We are going to be talking about breaking down the 53-man roster all the way through training camp. Um, Little announcement programming note. uh, Eric's not going to be here August 26th. Is that the right day? Yes. Um, So I'm still trying to figure out a way we're going to be able to work this through. Might get a good guest on. I'm not sure yet. But... Um, it'll be me, somebody else from Mile High Huddle, and I think I'm going to try to get a guest to come on and join us. But anyways, at DVDD underscore pod, it's a great way to follow along with what we're doing every single Friday. Also, guys, while you're at it, at Mile High Huddle, uh, that is the mother account where you guys find breaking news and analysis regarding your Denver Broncos, anything Broncos-related, film breakdowns, opinion articles, um, all of our training camp content at Mile High Huddle. Great way to find out what's going on at milehighhuddle.com. As well, guys, if you're financially able to do so, the Super Chats are great. But another great way to support the show is huddleuppod.com. That's the merch tent, guys. Um, There's new T-shirts. There's new hats, teddy bears, face masks, coffee cups. There's something for every show for the most part up there. At least I remember there being uh, something for new shows. We actually kind of reformatted that the other day, so I'm not sure what's all up there. But still, anything to support Mile High Huddle is a great way. Huddleuppod.com is where you guys can get all of that. If you're financially not able to do so, please, at the bottom of your screen, you're going to see a ticker that says, one, subscribe. Everywhere, all of your podcast platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, does not matter. Wherever you guys get your podcast content, please subscribe to Mile High Huddle. Like every video you guys see specifically on YouTube and on Twitter and on Facebook because it helps us so much, guys. You guys don't understand just the support that we get from you guys liking all these videos. And if you love it, 
help us grow, guys. Share it. Get in front of as many Broncos fans as possible because without your guys' support, we could not do what we do best, which is cover your Denver Broncos. Now, Eric, we're about 47 minutes right now, so we're going to have to get out of here. But before we do, any big plans for this weekend? Any last words you want to get out there for Broncos country? I just want to say, K-Hop, um, we used to have two shows. We used to be on Saturday night. We're trying to figure that out and get our Saturday night back. Um, Got to go hit up chat about that. Um, no plans for the weekend, but as Lance said, I will be out on August 26th, a few weeks away. Uh, my daughter has to have surgery, so I'm going to be sitting in a waiting room all almost all day. And that Ford's probably dealing with a very angry five-year-old child who can't eat or drink anything, really. So she's got to have some surgery on her mouth. So, yeah, I, I just feel so bad for for little Rosie Bug. Like it's just a, a bad, bad deal all the way around. I mean, it, at least it's just some some dental work and it's not anything super dramatic and super important. So I am thankful for that. Um, guys, thoughts and prayers and everything like that to Eric and, and everything going on and his other stuff. Not going to get into the, any personal information, but anything you could do to kind of keep Eric and his family in your prayers right now would definitely be much appreciated, um, at least on my end. And I know from, from Eric and his family as well. But with that, guys, we do have to get out of here for this evening. Thank you all again for joining us on the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. You all stay safe and take care. Have a great rest of your weekend. And as always, go Broncos. We'll see you guys same time, same place next week. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies push boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They push girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promotes surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies push boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They push girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal.